Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18+. plus. If you lost Survivor and you're feeling down David and Jessica will turn it around They'll break down the rules and they'll show you how You played yourself and got voted out This is why Blank lost And this is why Blank lost Oh baby, this is why Blank lost Welcome to our special full preseason edition of Why Blank Lost. I'm your host, David Bloomberg, and at this point, every time I close my eyes, I see images of Survivor winners floating through my brain. Heck, sometimes I don't even have to close my eyes, which I think they call hallucinations. But anyway, right there with me is my co-host, Jessica Lewis, who has spent more time studying for this podcast than she did for the LSAT. Oh, my word. Let me tell you, there are so many images going through my head right now. I think they're all just going to be like messed up and jumbled. And if I say the wrong season for the wrong person, I apologize. (laughs) But I will say there is so much out there on all of these contestants, obviously, because they're all winners. They're all returnees from previous seasons. And so there's so much material out there that, yeah, it's a lot. 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 Uh, Yes. (laughs) All right. For uh, newcomers to this podcast, welcome. If you heard us talking to Rob about why the winners lost, thanks for following us over for the full preview here on Reality TV Rehab Pups. And uh, welcome back to all those who have listened before. Once the season begins, of course, we will be here every week to discuss what each voted out player did right and wrong in terms of rules I originally wrote back after the very first Survivor season and have been updating ever since. Discussing uh, each player used to appear in my columns on the Reality News Online website, which I created and ran for a long time, but which I had to close down several years ago. Uh, The column was then reborn as a podcast with Rob uh, a few years ago, and then we switched things up to bring Jessica on board. Yay for me! Yes, and that was was a very exciting moment for me, getting to join you, because as I've said multiple times, listening to your podcast about my season... And the entire time I just kept going, he's so right. And I know that you love to hear that. Of course. But so it was really incredibly uh, just an honor to hear from both you and Rob that you wanted me to join you. The brainiacs of Survivor, the encyclopedias of Survivor. So I really appreciate your willingness to keep doing this with me. So thanks. (laughs) Me too. Me too. (laughs) So, well, now today 
we're going to be doing something different. Of course, we're going to talk about uh, the uh, the players and make some predictions, as you know, of course, you'd expect for a preview show. But this is going to be a bit different from our normal preseason podcast because everyone listening probably knows most or all of these players. Mm-hmm. And there's probably a few who don't, but you know, you're going to know most or all of them. And so it's not like we're going to go through and introduce them like, hi, this is Michelle. She's a uh, 20-something travel consultant, you know. Mm. Um, There's no point in doing that because the reason these people are here is they're winners. Uh, And normally, we also predict what rules a player is going to violate. But as we indicated in the previous podcast with Rob, don't be too much of a threat is going to be a major reason for getting out, getting Mm -hmm. voted out over and over again. Yes. So we would just have to predict that each time. Um, Now, ironically, some of the players who aren't seen as much of a threat might be seen as more of a threat for the reason that they aren't a big threat. And those players tend to win all-star seasons. Yes. So you could, you know, be too much of a threat by not being enough of a threat by being too much of a threat. But anyway. Let people uh, wrap their brains around that one for a minute. That's right. Uh, So we're going to break the format a little bit and just talk about our thoughts on each player, who they might align with, and how we think they're going to do. You know, as I mentioned, I've been covering Survivor since season one. And for much of that time, I was writing Why Blank Lost or One columns and doing exit interviews so parts of our discussions today will involve things that i've rediscovered in looking back to those articles when they're relevant Mm -hmm. unfortunately for me i don't have that (laughs) yeah but you have what's called experience yeah and that's true so maybe i can add a little bit of color a little bit of personal experience but also i do have incredible respect for these players and it, it was really nice getting to revisit so much of the incredible games that they played. YouTube is a wonderful thing and you can totally get sucked in and there's so much stuff there, but it was, it was really kind of nostalgic to like sit there and, and watch it and remember where I was when it actually happened because I've been watching since season one and have never missed a season. So it's nice to revisit these things. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Now I mentioned that normally we go through the rules each week. But uh, to be honest, with all this studying, I'm not done modifying them for the season yet. Mm. If anyone is interested, you can find the latest version from last season at robhasawebsite.com slash blog slash Survivor Rules. Or, of course, you can get the shorter and much more colorful version of the rules in poster form at tinyurl.com slash David Rules Poster. Yes, and you should definitely order. Uh, we have an incredible opportunity for anyone who hasn't yet purchased one. They're only $20. They're 11 by 17, beautiful design by Eric Reichenbach, as many of you probably. Who appeared on the the preseason special, of course, because, you know, heaven forbid Survivor pass up a chance to show his moment with his immunity necklace. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, like everyone should probably remember him because it gets brought up all the time. And in addition to that, he also draws really incredible cartoons. So uh, the poster is $20. Like I said, it's great. Looks wonderful in frame. So please order. We'll get that mailed out to you. And if you are outside of the United States, you can DM me and I will definitely make arrangements to get that to you, regardless of where you are. Yes. And so, uh, you know, listeners from last season may remember we talked about how we were running out and indeed we did. Mm -hmm. So we uh, we talked about it. We went ahead and ordered a second printing. 
And it's the same URL, tinyurl.com slash David Rules Poster. It'll take you to eBay. And also, you know, we may have a few things coming soon in another location besides posters, like yes. maybe shirts. So they're not ready yet, but we'll let you know when. Very exciting. Good things to look forward to. That's right. Now, before we get to the players, uh, there are a few things I want to discuss. And the first is the pace of the game or what we expect it to be. We keep hearing about this from players and commentators like us, but to a large extent, I feel like the pace of the game is dependent upon the players. Mm -hmm. If a bunch of older school players want things to move more slowly, then it will. Uh, a, a few newer players may try to push things along and jump out front, but they may just get too far ahead of themselves. And, you know, producers can add twists and swaps, but if players choose to take things slow and stay loyal, there isn't much anyone can do about it. Yes. And I, I think that's exactly what some of the older school players want to do. And, but, yeah. I think in going through a lot of the interviews, I noticed that term loyalty coming up a lot, mm -hmm. especially with the older school players. Loyalty is something that is kind of ingrained in them. And that's something that regardless of the new pace of the game and how the game is played currently, I don't think the loyalty is going to get checked at the door. I think that's something that they will revisit. And I think that's going to slow down the pace of the game. Absolutely. If they get if if the old school players get their way, I think that's what's going to happen. Yeah. Now, at least two who have played in previous returnee seasons mentioned that it is faster right away in those seasons. So maybe it's just the nature of everybody feeling comfortable. Mm. But, you know, I guess we'll see. It'll be interesting to, you know, when we see it happen on our screen. Yes. And I do think it's really going to be dependent upon who kind of takes the reins and leads the charge because it, that really will, I think, kind of set the pace. And if you have someone like a Boston Rob, who's able to get his footing, I think his pace is, is a slower one because it's more, hmm, what's the word? Like it's, he's very consistent and he knows how he wants things to end up. So he moves at a pace that's going to allow him to get there. But it's so regimented in how he in, in how he does it. And I think that someone like Rob, if he gets his footing and starts the game in that way, that's what's going to end up kind of carrying through. So I, I'm excited, but I, I can't imagine any one of the newer players getting that foothold before someone like Rob. Right, right. And, and speaking of Rob, Another thing we'll see about is whether the big threats will be immediately targeted or are going to stick together. When we were talking with our Rob on the earlier podcast, he said he thinks the big targets will actually last because they'll become meat shields. Mm -hmm. And you know, during that podcast, I poo-pooed that idea. But the more research I've done and the more interviews I've read, I, it, it, you know, maybe it's just turning my brain to mush, but I'm starting to wonder if he's right. Oh, I think but, he is. <laughs> well, I, 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 I'm starting to wonder, but I just can't convince myself it'll happen that way. I still think it will be asking too much for all of them to work together. I, I, I there's too many egos there. There's too many targets. And it's kind of like, it reminds me of, um, the, this, a couple seasons ago when all the big threats got together, you had war dog, Kelly, uh, you know, uh, Dave, uh, all of them mm -hmm. got together and they were like, well, if, if we just stick together and don't knock each other out, 
then we're good. But if we start shooting at each other, then we're all in trouble. Right. And what happened? They all started shooting at each other. Well, but let me ask you this. Do you know if they're going to know about Edge of Extinction before they start the game? Or, like, are they going to be told? Do we have any idea about that? We don't. Um, I feel like I feel like they're going to be told because some of them were speculating about it. Mm -hmm. And Jeff Probst made that ridiculous claim in one of his interviews where he said, well, I I feel like some of the players wouldn't have come back if it weren't for Edge of Extinction, Mm -hmm. which is utter nonsense. And I was so happy with the winners who came out and said, Edge of Extinction sucks. Um, <laughs> yes, it does. Because anyone who's listened to us already knows our opinion on that. And by the way, I find it funny. Somehow you have escaped the uh, the the uh, tarring and feathering here because when when uh, when Rob was talking to us, he kept talking about how I had gone off on it. Mm-hmm. But people who listen to those podcasts know you ranted just as much as I did. And I did rant. I Totally own that I did. And I also got to rant recently. Martin Holmes got in touch with me and said, hey, what are your thoughts on Edge of Extinction? And uh, that was something he just put out on Twitter today. So if you want to read how I feel about it, <laughs> it was, it was, you know, I was pretty honest in, in my feelings about Edge of Extinction, as I think a lot of people have been. It's something that across the board seems to really bring about an emotional response from people. And I am one of those people that does not like it, but thinks if you want to include it, fine. You can include it, but it needs to end at the merge. Like, that's it. Done at the merge. That makes a lot more sense. But if you want more of my take on it, you can certainly check that out. (laughs) All right. Wow. I did not know that. I have been uh, kind of Twitter absent lately. So, yeah. Yeah, me too. All right. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Because we've been doing this. It's been a little crazy. Yes. Yes. uh, Yeah. So uh, inside little inside uh, baseball here yesterday, uh, listeners, I called up uh, Jessica in the evening because we, you know, we've been doing so much research and I, I was just trying to get a handle on things. And she answers her phone and says, why are you calling during the Survivor preseason show? <laughs> I had no clue. I didn't know what day it was. I didn't know what time it was. Yeah. It, you know that. So. So anyway, well, I was doing uh, both. I was watching that while I was sitting in front of my computer, trying to read interviews and watch it at the same time. And I was like, this is too much. But this is yeah, this is yeah. the world you have sucked me into. So. All right. Yeah. Well, good. Here we are. All right. Well, since we're in that world, unless you have anything else, we can uh, start right in with uh, the Red Tribe. I think we can. I just do want to say, though, going back to the pace of the game okay. and the edge of extinction, okay. I do think depending upon whether or not the players are told about the edge of extinction before the first vote is going to greatly affect how people are voted out. I I think it could. I don't know if it'll greatly affect it. I think it could affect it, but in all honesty, it shouldn't because only one person, at least at the merge and then probably one later Hmm. gets to come back. Right. And so if you're going to vote out big threats, well, then keep voting out big threats and only one of them is going to get to come back. Exactly. So, you know, the the only way that I could. No, no, I was going to say I could see it affecting it a certain way, but the more I thought about it, it doesn't make sense. So I'm not even going to say it. <laughs> um, but I, I just I, it could affect people's thinking, but I hope it won't. 
I hope it won't either. But I, I, Sandra actually mentioned that that would certainly affect how the votes are going to be cast. And and I think if if they know that the edge of extinction exists, that idea of we're going to keep the old school players together and we're going to use a lot of meat shields might turn into let's send all the meat shields to edge of extinction. So only one of them has the possibility of coming back as opposed to keeping them around much longer. I, I just feel like that's that's certainly going to come into play. My opinion. Yeah, well, that would be that would be so ironic if you know Jeff created this so that the the big strong target type players could come back, and instead it causes them all to get voted out early. Yeah, that would be. I, oh, I would. That would that would just be funny. That would make but, you happy. <laughs> uh, yeah, one one place that Edge of Extinction knowledge of it will come into effect is the first person that we're going to talk about on the Red Tribe. Yes, uh, and that's Amber mm-hmm. because. If and, and, you know, this is not anything new what I'm about to say. Rob has talked about this, too. But if Amber and Rob are on, you know, they're sitting there on their separate tribes. And if Rob is voted out first and there's no edge of extinction, people worry a lot less about Amber Mm -hmm. with edge of extinction. They know that Rob can come back. And in fact, the whole fire token thing also makes me think that they will all know about edge of extinction because whatever's going on with fire tokens involves edge of extinction. Right. Which is another reason I don't like edge of extinction for this, uh, this yes, season, exactly. because now they're actually uh, making it part of the game. Right. And so, but that, you know, getting back to Amber yes. is a reason that even if Rob is voted out, she's still potential trouble. Mm-hmm. And, so we talked about Amber's first game in our Why the Winners Lost podcast, and a lot about her win in All-Stars is already very well known. But I want to return to something I pointed out in that podcast, which is that her strategy in All-Stars seemed to uh, be somewhat similar to the one she used in Australia. She partnered up with a more obnoxious person who could drive the bus and take the heat. Mm-hmm. And the first time she did it, Jerry was too obnoxious and got voted off, taking away Amber's shield. But she obviously struck gold the second time with Rob, and that meant she could ride into the final rounds and then into the sunset with her husband. Well, now she's back for a sequel, and you know we have to wonder if she's going to try the same thing again. Well, she indicated a lot that she cannot play the same way that she played previously. She seemed very aware of that particular issue, even though she wants to be old school because that's what she knows. I think she's also mindful of the fact that she was the the second in a duo and ended up winning because she had less blood on her hands. And I don't know, maybe she wants to make more of a name for herself as opposed to being the second to her husband, Rob. I think that's ultimately what happened in All Stars. He got blamed for the ickiness that was created with that duo Mm -hmm. and she didn't get the blame for it as much. And maybe she wants to show that she can play more cutthroat than she did before, but she's also Amber. You know, she's just so sweet. And I, I mean, and looking at her tribe options, if she's really going to go back down that path and want to align with someone who's more obnoxious, I mean, really what are her options? I mean, maybe, maybe, Tyson, maybe Tony, but I don't know if she, I mean, Tyson, I think she's got a relationship with outside of the game. So I don't know who she would necessarily choose to be that other half. Yeah. And the other thing is, if by some chance the other players let Amber and Rob get together via a swap or the merge somehow, 
then we know who she'll partner with. Of course. Uh, you know, the question is whether she'll do it before then and if she'll have another plan when Rob is voted out. Even if she does, I, I don't think Amber can win again this way. I, I just don't think the winners will reward somebody who uses that strategy unless she's up against two Boston Robs in the final three who have somehow managed to piss off everybody in the jury. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I think this group of players is going to be mindful of the fact that whoever wins represents the winners and they're going to want whoever that winner is to be a true winner and someone who really kind of drove the bus, if you will, and made the decisions and made things happen. And I don't know if they would reward someone who didn't do it so much and was more likable about it. You know, I think they would reward blood on your hands for sure. Yeah. You know, now looking back at my column on why Amber won, I concluded at the time that basically she made one very good move hooking up with Rob. Uh, besides that, she was lucky that Lex abandoned his strategy instead of friendship rule when he should have voted her off. Uh, she was lucky that so many people missed so many chances to break up her partnership with Rob and send her packing or him. Uh, when she even admitted in her interview with me that they should have done that. Yeah. yeah. She she did a good job of staying under the radar while allowing Rob to create and take the heat. And, you know, she was probably a sounding board who also contributed somewhat to the strategic discussions. But in my opinion, it was mostly Rob. I don't think that's a real hot take there. But now that she's older and wiser, she'll almost certainly be able to stand more on her own two feet. I just don't think it'll be enough. Yeah, it's going to be hard for her. I think that Rob is almost an Achilles heel for her because everyone knows about him and everyone knows that he's going to be there. So it's one thing if you're just the other half of Boston Rob, but now you're the other half of Boston Rob and Boston Rob is playing again. And I, you saw and I don't know if you saw or if people saw the first few minutes, but Mm -hmm. it's noticed very quickly, like, oh, your wife is here. <laughs> so, I mean, every, right. you know, so it, it's certainly not going to be missed. And I think everyone is going to be thinking that's two. They're definitely going to stay together. And I know that in the interviews that I've been listening to, people are trying to determine, okay, do I want to utilize them to have two votes? Because then I know I'm just going to be a third and I know I'm, I'm not ever going to break that two. So it's this idea of I know I can have two votes if I work with both of them, but I also know that I am definitely third man out. So it's a it's a very precarious situation for anybody to sign up to to play with and to take that chance because, you know, they are not going to cut each other. Yeah. Now, in our earlier podcast, uh, our Rob joked that <laughs> maybe living with Boston Rob all this time has rubbed off a, a ton of survivor strategy on Amber. But she said in her Entertainment Weekly interview, there's a couple out there who I really know nothing about besides just their name. That can be a scary thing because I don't know anything about them. Uh, she later added, I guess probably my biggest weakness, but could also be seen the other way, would be to have never played with any of these people before and not really know them at all. Uh, so, you know, and she was saying that even I played before this, I played before that. Now, she claims she played before blindsides. I think Rob Sesternino might disagree with that, mm -hmm. uh, that characterization. But, the, the, you know, the point is, yeah, it was a long time ago. And I'm sure she has kept up with the game, but not to the degree that 
her husband has or most of these other players have. I totally agree with that. I think that to her benefit, she is going to be with some other strong women who have, I think, grown through the game and also grown since the game. And I think that's going to be beneficial to her. She was very young when she played the first time. And I think we've seen that with other people who are on her tribe, that they were they were young before they played the game. And now they are married. They have children. So they've matured. And I think that she can find some great connections with people very similar to her on her tribe. But I do think that it's it's going to be hard for her to really get her footing. Besides having good connections, I don't know if she's going to necessarily have the strategic chops that she's going to need to play with these people. Yeah. So my prediction, I think she's an early target, especially as we discussed with Edge of Extinction in play. Mm-hmm. I agree. All right. We can move on to Kim who is uh, an interesting situation because she's only played once, but she did such a good job that I think she's still considered a fairly big threat out there. It doesn't help that podcasts have talked about how good she was. And so even if, you know, even if some of the players might not have realized it, if they listen, well, then, you know, they heard that. Uh, She told Entertainment Weekly she thought there were other players who would be bigger threats. But then we heard from some of those other players that, well, yeah, they did indeed worry about her. Yeah. And it's interesting, too, because there's there's almost like a little asterisk next to her win, though, where so many people have been commenting on the fact that her cast wasn't a very strong cast. And if you go back and watch her season, she really did. I mean, she completely dominated. And it, it it's almost mind-blowing that the people she was playing with didn't see her coming and didn't see this happening and they put so much faith in Kim I mean so much so they were going to trust their lives to Kim I mean she was very very much just kind of almost worshipped out there by the people she was playing the game with and I think she that worked so well for her because nobody nobody saw it coming nobody really knew her obviously this was a new season it was new players and so she was able to be that way without it being necessarily noticed. Now it's on everybody's radar that she just completely dominated. And granted, she dominated a cast of players that were not a cast of winners. So it'll be interesting to see how she plays with people at a much higher level than I think she played with before. Yeah. You know who else dominated a cast of uh, not so great players? Boston Rob. Exactly. So he has an asterisk next to that win, too, of course. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot of asterisks. Yeah. Uh, But I mean, now, now one interesting point from Kim is that she said she thinks this season might end up being a little more old school. So she's one of those people we were talking about earlier. But I'm not sure if she meant from a production side or a player side. Like maybe she was thinking there would be fewer idols and twists. If so, you're totally wrong. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, you know, as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, it's possible that the older school players will try to slow things down. And if enough of them do it, it can work. But they also don't want to come off as telling the other players what to do. And if there are a bunch of swaps and twists, they, they just might not have a choice in the matter. Yeah. But I also think that if enough of them can kind of come together that even with the swaps and the twists, they still might be able to bring it back to an old school place that they enjoy and that they can maybe, Mm -hmm. maybe ingratiate some old school mentality into this world of twists and idols that we find ourselves playing in. 
Well, let's hope. <laughs> now, I, I feel like Kim is probably going to make the merge. Mm-hmm. I don't think she'll get real near the end because I, I think people are going to worry about it. I think that Kim's biggest potential issue is just her likability factor. She really is mm-hmm. a likable person. She's nice. And I think that when she talks to people, they really feel like there's a genuine connection. And everyone saw her do that on her season. And if she tries to do that again, I think these players will be more mindful of that and will question her motives more. So I do think that she's going to have a difficult time getting to the end. But I do think that she will make connections. I know that she wants to work with Amber. So that'll be an interesting relationship to see if it actually happens if they do connect and are able to play together but i i think she's going to do well because physically also she still looks like she's in the shape she was when she played previously and she did great in the physical challenges before so she'll definitely be a benefit to her tribe and i think that could also keep her around longer so i i I fear for her towards the end though because of her likability factor Mm -hmm. yep same thing all right, we can move on to we move from old school to the newest school, uh, and that's Nick. Oh yes, your now, winner. Now, yes, my winner. Uh, you know, I I had picked Nick to win David versus Goliath, and I was of course right. Of course, um, and, and I did discuss Nick somewhat in the uh, there was there was uh, there were five roundtable podcasts that Rob did. Uh, where you know each one had a number of people talking about uh, some of the players, so I was in the one with the the newer players, and so you know I, I did discuss Nick there, and anyone who heard me there knows that well I'm picking an almost opposite result for him mm, this time. Mm-hmm. I think he'll be one of the first five out. Yeah, and there just might not be much he can do about it. He will be the new guy with a bunch of people who know each other one way or another. And, well, let me put it this way. In his pregame getting to know you video from David versus Goliath, he said you build up relationships over a long period. You don't win on day three. And that's what he ended up doing. But this time, there will be people with alliances since years before day one. Yeah. And he's not among them. You know, so I know He's hoping that he has an advantage because he knows the pace of the game or what he thinks the pace of the game will be. Uh, He played in Fiji. He can be a free agent. But his disadvantages are that the others saw him play. They saw he's a smart guy and he's a lawyer rather than, you know, the, the persona he had created. They saw that he made multiple alliances with different people. He's just too exposed. I agree completely with the assessment. I also... I'm concerned with his pregame approach. I'm going to go on a little bit of a soapbox here, if you don't mind. I understand. Uh Yeah, I have to. I mean, I understand there's this idea of pregame alliances and whether or not people should have them and do they have them and do they not have them. And and someone who has been on the show before, I mean, this is something you hear a lot about, whether or not people have pregame alliances. And I know that CBS doesn't like it when people have them because it can have a negative effect on the actual game itself. But I do appreciate the fact that when in, I don't know, an interview, someone's asking about pregame alliances, mm-hmm. that they just say, no, I wouldn't do that. Why would I? I'm not going to hurt my own game to do that. Like, even if you have them, it's better to just, I think, shy away from the idea that you've actually created any. And Nick was right out you, there. 
Are you suggesting that players should lie? I'm suggesting that they shouldn't. For Survivor? Yeah, they shouldn't. Even if it's an interview, I just don't think it's a smart idea to throw it out there to anybody that you had a pregame alliance with Ewell and Michelle, which is exactly what he did. He was, I mean, he couldn't wait to say it. I mean, it was one of, like, it was a very interesting response because I just feel like he's so excited to play this game again, which is awesome. Great for him. And I don't blame him for being excited, but to be willing to admit that so quickly and so openly and not even just like, well, I might've talked to some players. No, he was like, I have a pregame alliance with Yule and Michelle. And that was it, you know? And, and I, I worry for him because I feel like he's going to be overly anxious to play instead of trying to just let the game happen and so that makes me very nervous for him, that there's there's too much of an, a desire to jump in too quick, too soon, too fast, which is why he's so excited about having a pregame alliance. Yeah, I also don't think that's going to work. Um, I, I think that he is has the likelihood of relying on that. Mm-hmm. And we've seen similar attempts on other seasons. And it. It rarely works. He also thought that he could connect with Wendell because Davy's friends with him. Maybe that'll work, but the friend of a friend thing, yeah. people aren't usually going to change their games because of that. Right. And, you know, Yule in particular, he's going to do what's best for him when he gets to Fiji. Yeah. He, he's not going to, you know, join up with Nick just because they exchange some texts. Right. And, you know, like I said, we've seen it before. Now, sometimes it does work. I think on Game Changers, there were rumors of several people who had a pregame alliance and stuck to it. There were other rumors of people who had pregame alliances and voted each other the hell out. Right. So, you know, I don't think it's going to work. And it's interesting what you said about him being excited to play again, because the other thing was that he's seemingly trying to get in good with Tyson uh, because he said that Tyson is his favorite, but then Tyson mentioned in an interview when like he turned his baseball cap around, Nick did the same thing. Right. Yes. And I think that was Nick's way of trying to communicate wordlessly with him that, Hey, I want to work with you. Look, I'm trying to be like you or, you know, just it's an interesting way to communicate that. And I, I do think that in other situations it might work, but this is Tyson. Right. And I'm not sure Tyson saw it that way. And I don't think Tyson's going to go out of his way to align with him. No, I think that's very like, oh, my goodness. Like, I I don't want to speak ill of Nick because I do think he seems like a really great guy. But that's that's very elementary, like like elementary school. Like, ooh, that's the guy I want to emulate. So I'm going to turn my hat around because that's the way he wears his hat. You know, <laughs> like to try to like, you know, I want to do what the cool kids are doing and like try to send mm-hmm. a message. I think it really just comes across as being desperate. And, and I think Tyson was was probably seeing it that way that this is a little little too anxious a little too uh desirous to play like you can't show your hand i think in a season like this so so quickly because someone like tyson's going to use that to his advantage he's going to know that nick is anxious to play with him and he is totally going to take advantage of nick for it and then he's probably going to decimate nick because of it so you cannot show your cards to someone like tyson so quick before the game even starts yeah, like I said, it may be in a new player season. Like if you see someone you want to work with, that would be a a, a way of quietly signaling it. Sure. But 
not to Tyson. No, not not with this group of people. You are coming across yeah. way too anxious. And I feel like yeah. Nick is presenting himself even in his interviews that we've seen that he, that anxious energy is really kind of seeping off of him. And, and it's probably something that they saw at Ponderosa. So I, I have very, very big concerns for Nick as well, not only because of that, but also he doesn't have the connections with people because he is one of the newer players. And so I feel like people will kind of look at Nick in a, well, he's, he's, he's disposable really, because we don't have a connection with him. We don't have anything really uh, that we can relate to with him. He's a, he's a new school player. Let's, you know, he can go. And I think that that's what we're going to see happen with Nick. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, his best hope is that the big guns get targeted early. And even then, though, I think he's next on the list, which is why I've been saying he's out in the first five. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now, uh, but now I did want to bring something up in case you didn't notice this. Uh, did you see how he responded to Gordon Holmes's standard question of everyone about how they'd explain Survivor to aliens? Yes. Is, was he the one that said yes. the rock draw? He, yes, yes, he used your rock out. He didn't describe it that way, but he wants to use your worst survivor moment to describe survivor. I know, like, hey, let's let's teach everyone how great survivor is. Here's this crazy rock draw thing that happened. I was like, what? Is Jessica crying. I know. And, yeah, just to show how how much we'll that's, you know we'll put on the line. Oh my god! Yeah, I, just, yeah. I read that and I was like, well, that's an interesting choice. <laughs> So it's no wonder you were hard on him here. Well, you know, he had that coming. Well, that was that was a rough moment. I think if Alien saw that, I think if Alien saw any of this, they'd be like, "What is wrong with these people?" (laughs) (laughs) Yes, but that that was an interesting choice for sure. Yeah, yeah. So thanks, Nick, for thinking of of that moment as your Alien moment. I appreciate that. Yeah, right. He's he's probably stopped listening at this point. (laughs) uh, What you said about him. So listen again. Listen, I think. Nick obviously rocked his season, uh, but I feel for him in this season because I do think that there's something to be said about the people who have been around for a long time and been exposed to this survivor family and survivor existence. And and he's new to it. And it, it it's yeah. trust me, I'm still I go to these functions and I meet people and you're you're I'm fangirling and I and I, I want to take pictures with everybody and I have to try to keep it in check because I also don't want to be annoying because that's how it can come across. It can come across as being annoying. And not that Nick is trying to be that way. He's a huge fan of the game and he's getting to play right. with these people. I can't even imagine how that would be processing in my brain. So I get it, but I'm so I'm concerned for him. Yeah. All right. Well, now we can move on to Sandra. And what do we say about Sandra that hasn't been said? Before? My word. She won twice. She originated or perfected the anybody but me strategy. She knows quite well how to scheme and plot. She knows how to keep her emotions separate from the game. She knows how to win over a jury. And she knows she's a huge target who should be voted out first. Even when she came back in Game Changers, with all of that, she managed to get an alliance together and stick around far longer than most people Mm -hmm. expected until she got swapped with people who were not going to play that game. And so what more can we say? I love that so many people have said they want to work with her. I think that's awesome because I think think they're crazy. I do think they're crazy because Sandra even said it in one of her interviews. I would vote me out first because she is the type of person who, because she's not a physical threat, 
She's not going to be a challenge beast. She's someone who is very, if she likes you, you know it. If she doesn't like you, you know it. So there's there's nothing hiding with Sandra. And I feel like some people are approaching that as you, you know what you're going to get with Sandra. But Sandra will take every little bit of information that she has and she'll be able to spin it and turn it against you or make things happen. And it, she does it in a very, very like quiet way. And then all of a sudden it just happens. She's, she pays attention and she's someone who, if she gets her footing is going to be incredibly dangerous. And so I find it so fascinating that so many people are like, I want Sandra cause she's going to be my shield. Uh, Sandra might be, might be the death of you. <laughs> you know, she's, yeah. she might just cause your demise. So it, it was fascinating to see so many people wanting to work with her. Yeah, especially since I feel like Sandra has a target at least as big as the big giant head statue the other player, players got to see. Right. You know, she's she's also the type of player that, well, like you said, some may want to keep around in part because you can get always get rid of her later. Normally, I'd say if that happens with someone who has the skills Sandra has, it could be dangerous. But in her case, I just can't imagine anyone letting her get anywhere near the end because if she gets there I, i'm just gonna say this right now if she gets to the end she wins mm -hmm. she doesn't even have to say anything to the jury she walks out and says i was the only two-time winner and you bozos let me get here yeah yeah who deserves this and, and i you know? i think that her the way that she played it in game changers was such a good representation of what we could see i know that you've already talked about this a little bit but everyone assumed I think pregame with Game Changers that Sandra was going to be like first one out. But she really was able to find all of those little cracks in that tribe and use them. And she she really did a phenomenal job lasting much longer than I think we all expected. And that was with returnees. That was with people that knew how to play the game. And she's in the same type of environment with people that know how to play the game. And I just, I really feel like there could, if she gets to the end, yeah, it, that's unbelievably, it'll be a shock that anyone let it happen. But yeah, she's taking it if she gets to the final three, right. for sure. Yeah, so I, I think she'll either go within the first couple episodes or right around the merge, but no later than that. Yeah. So, all right. Well, now we can talk about uh, Sarah, who beat Sandra in Game Changers, and Sarah was extremely high on herself mm. in her ET Canada interview going out up, going on about her game, how she's the best because she beat Sandra. Mm -hmm. I, I'd like to think she was kidding, but she didn't seem to be. So if she was, she had a very dry sense of humor there. Now, now don't get me wrong. I think she played a good game, but this isn't game changers anymore. And she has a big hill to climb because the way Sarah played at that point, got her the win, but it also ensured that she would be targeted if she ever came back again. And here she is, you know, yeah. she played a social game that allowed her to get to know people on a personal level and still double cross them. And we heard from a number of jurors about how much that hurt. You can bet the other winners heard it and saw it, too. And the response seems to be that many of them want her gone first if the Entertainment Weekly hypothetical first vote is any indicator. Yeah, I was shocked to see that, that so many people are so threatened by her. But I do think that she has 
come into this environment very exposed. She's one of the more recent players. She's the most recent female winner. And she's someone that people saw change her game dramatically from the first time she played to the second time. And so if she's able to improve upon it so much in order to pull off a win the second time, because it really was so different than the first time she played, that she's someone who they should rightfully be afraid of. Because if she's so good at fixing things that were wrong with her game from the first time to the second time, I can only imagine what she's got in store for the third time. And, and if I were someone playing with her, I wouldn't want to necessarily find that out. Especially if you remember her uh, final three tribal council when she was talking about how good her game was and where it stems from. And she was talking about this undercover work that she did and how she has to be other people because she's a police officer. That makes it even more scary because that means she really can put on different you know, hats, if you will, and play different people. And they saw her do that and they saw her do it very, very well, which means she can do it again. Right. And, you know, going back to our Why Winners Lost podcast, you know, speaking of how she could change her game, we discussed how Sarah made the classic mistake of letting swing vote power go to her head in Kagiyan. But she corrected that in her win. And she told Rob in her Game Changers red carpet interview, our Rob, of course, uh, that she learned she had to be more adaptable and not put her foot down. She also said that if someone else wanted to take the lead, she'd let them because she was still in on the decision and not standing out as the head of the alliance. That was a great lesson, and in theory, it could help her here again. But in practice, I don't think anybody is going to let her get to that point by aligning themselves with her. I think the only hope she might have is a Sandra, because Sandra might look at someone like Sarah as a benefit to her. Because if so many people are targeting Sarah, I think Sandra might want to kind of keep that in her in her back pocket if she can. And the longer you keep Sarah around, maybe the less attention is on Sandra. But I don't know if that's then going to cause Sandra problems. I know that it's a it's a possibility. It would be interesting to see if, if Sandra puts that spin on it, that I'll bring Sarah along or I'll I'll it's almost like I'm a bad, I'm a villain here. You know, Sandra's a villain, so she wants the next larger villain. And it might be interesting to see if those two end up coming together. Well, and those two and Tony, all of whom are on the same tribe, did speak in the pregame. Yes. From what we heard. Mm-hmm. So, so if they stay true to their word, it could save all three of them. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, she did tell Gordon Holmes that she recognizes how people are looking at her. And she has to behave for a little bit and overcome the hurdle of people not wanting to trust her. So she's going to have to work with maybe those two and some other people to demonstrate trust. That's the only chance she has, I think. Yeah, no, I agree. She's definitely going to need to find someone and find someone quickly in order to not be targeted. And yeah, I mean, those two seem like probably her her best bet. Yeah. Now, when Sarah won her season, Sophie who is our next uh, discussion person to discuss here was subbing for Rob on know-it-alls while he was out on the red carpet. Like I said, interviewing her and said, Sarah was lucky enough to come into that season as one of the few people who were not viewed as a threat before the game even began. Mm -hmm. And that was a good point by Sophie. And one we've seen time and time again in returning player seasons. And it's also why I made Sophie my winner. (laughs) Uh, you know, I know there are other winners who are viewed as less of a threat, 
But as I mentioned early in the podcast, those people who are less of a threat may actually be targeted because these winners are smart enough to know that coming in as a lesser threat makes you a viable winner. And I feel like Sophie is kind of on the border. She's not too much of a threat, but she's also not a complete non-threat who would attract that kind of ironic attention. Yeah, I think Sophie's a very interesting character because she's been so separated, I think, from the survivor world. Even though she is included and she's still friends with people, we don't see that much of Sophie. We don't hear that much from her. She does occasional podcasts here and there. But she's one of those winners that was on what I think she called kind of a dark season. And she played with people like Cochran. I mean, you can't forget that. You know, she played against Cochran and she she ended up beating Cochran. She beat Coach. I mean, she beat some very well-known players that we've seen go on and play again and someone like Cochran who won. So I do think that you have to have incredible respect for the game that she managed to play while she was out there. I mean, she took an alliance all the way to the end, which is something very old school. And I don't know if we'll see something like that again, but I do think she's one of those sleepers that the way that she presents herself, she's always kind of in the mix, but she's not the one that's at the forefront. She's not the one you're necessarily seeing and thinking of all the time. And I think that will definitely bode well for her in this group of players. Yeah. Now, one thing that could work against her is she told ET Canada she's an introvert and doesn't make acquaintances easy. Mm. Uh, you know, it's it, she said it's hard to give a lot of herself, but she knows it's needed. I think she can overcome mm-hmm. it. A- an interesting point she made was saying that she thinks the fluidity of alliances is higher on a returnee season, which may be true, especially if there's a lot of swapping. But I also think that may be one reason people will want to find loyal allies to stick with, like you mentioned earlier. And she can fill that role. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that she's the type of person that if she says she's going to stick with you, that's going to mean something if they go back and remember how she was in her season. And that's if they even remember. I mean, it, right. but I do think that the loyalty card is going to matter in this particular group of people because we do have so many players who were who played when that did really actually mean something. I, the, the new school, not so much, but the loyalty card, I think, will matter, and it, it will definitely make a difference with Sophie. Well, you say the new school, not so much, but wait till we talk about uh, your season. Yeah, I, uh, Listen, but, I know, because I was one of those people that yeah, I was, I, I went to rocks because I was being so loyal. You know, so, right, but I'm right. also, I'm older, I'm not a millennial. <laughs> so, I, yes, so I have a different mindset <laughs> on that too. But yes, for sure. I, yeah. I played, I played with loyalty very, yeah, that was important to me. Yes. Right. Now. After Sophie played her first time in one, I interviewed her and she talked about how she felt like she knew what was going on all the time and nothing ever happened that she didn't want to happen. So she was pretty well controlling the game, made tight allies who wouldn't flip. There's that loyalty thing again Mm -hmm. and worked to keep her alliance together while staying at the center of it. And then she outplayed her opponents at the final tribal council, giving the jury the truth about her backstabbing, which was all they wanted to hear. I think this jury will be similar. You know, I, I don't think they're going to want to be face people who are full of baloney. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I think Sophie needs to make a solid alliance or two and then walk the tightrope between being a threat and not being. a threat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think she's grown a lot since her. What was she like 21 when she played the first time or something? Something. Like she was that, very yeah. young and she was still able to hold her own with the people that she played with. 
I love that she equated coach to like her female counterpart on on her season. So she's very mindful of having that second person who she can utilize to her benefit. And if she finds that second person on this group or within this group, I think she's going to be in a great place. And I think some of the people she's interested in playing with, like a poverty, will be very strong second if she's if she's able to actually get with her because obviously they're starting on different tribes but it also seems like sophie is someone that multiple people have mentioned that they want to work with which is also a good sign for her so if people want to work with her then they're not going to vote her out right away because maybe they want to try to form that bond right so all right well there's there's my official winner there you go all right now we move on to tony and his arc in the game is going to depend in large part if he holds true to what he's been telling the media about how he's going to play things slow mm. this time. As I mentioned on the Why the Winners Lost podcast, the question is if he can tone it down. I, I think he'll be able to for a little while, but you can't keep Tony in a box. You know, if, <laughs> if, if he has a solid alliance by that point, he might be okay. But I think what's going to bring out the crazy is he'll find himself in a situation that either is really bad for him or he interprets as being bad for him. So he goes full Tony to try to extricate himself, but he'll just end up digging his hole deeper. Yeah. I mean, I hope we don't see what we saw last time because we talked about this and why Tony lost, but Sandra wanted to work with him. And that was such a great opportunity for him in Game Changers. And then he blew it. He completely blew it. And Sandra was very aware that he was a loose cannon and quickly cut ties with him. And he ended up getting voted out. So he's someone who does need to try to maintain some semblance of calm. But if he does that, I think it might also create some suspicions in people because that's not the Tony they know. The Tony that these people have seen play the game is that crazy Tony who's running through the woods, who's hiding in bunkers and behind bushes and is is really taking the game to another level that people hadn't really seen before Tony won. And so if he doesn't do that, I don't know if that's going to instill some concern or fear in people because it's not what they're used to seeing from Tony. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Now, I think another thing that could cause a problem is that on the one hand, he said he doesn't want to come in with grand plans. But on the other, he told Entertainment Weekly that he wants to align himself with two different groups, a group that are close outside the game and a group of stragglers. And then he'll tell both groups he's with them, which is a recipe for disaster because it assumes nobody in those groups will be talking to each other and they will be. Mm, you know, mm-hmm. they will be. Yeah. This is especially true because he seems to think Adam will be a straggler who doesn't really do the politics outside the game, which tells me. He doesn't know a damn thing about it. Yeah. And that's, I think, going to be part of Tony's issue as well, is he's one of those survivor players who hasn't ingratiated himself into the survivor world after the, the game. Like he has, he doesn't go to the fundraisers and he doesn't, he doesn't go to the, the get togethers, which is fine. Nobody has to, but he's kept himself very separate from that. And it's clear with the Adam comment that he doesn't know the type of politicking that Adam is probably doing and has been doing because Adam is involved in all of that. And so by keeping himself separated from that, he's going to be missing some of those potential relationships that he could have had because people 
would actually maybe know the real Tony. And so if, if the real Tony is more laid back, calm, like we saw in the interviews, then if someone's out there playing the game with him and that's the Tony they see, well, that's the Tony I know outside of the game. So that Tony is that there's nothing to worry about with that Tony. But if mm-hmm. nobody knows that that Tony exists, it could be problematic. Yeah. Now, now before we move on from Tony, I, I do have to mention that I love Tony for this exchange with Gordon Holmes, where Gordon mentioned Chris Underwood's win. And Tony said, that was horrible, man. That was gross. <laughs> and then later he added, I can't believe they did that. That just ruined the whole. Oh, my God. What happened to the concept of when your torch is snuffed, you're dead. And of course, we've already uh, covered our own thoughts on Edge of Extinction. Uh, so, Tony, thank you for speaking from our heart. Yes, thank you, Tony. <laughs> Appreciate that. Yes. Uh, moving on to Tyson. Uh, as we discussed on our earlier podcast, Tyson has probably evolved as a player more than just about anybody else. Mm-hmm. As it stands today, I think he has a great deal of insight into the game and how to play it. He certainly hit a speed bump or two along the way, especially in heroes versus villains. Uh, but he's learned from his mistakes as he showed in blood versus water. However, I think he may be underestimating what other people think of him because he said in one pregame interview, I'm hoping other people see me as a more carefree, laid back, laissez faire goofball. And I think I play that role pretty well. I mean, I've got long hair. I kind of don't give a bleep. But at the same time, I'm hoping that masks this brain that never stops thinking about how to play the game. And then he said in another interview, I feel like I understand the game better than every player out here. And I don't think people realize that. I don't think they know that I'm as good as I am at this game. And so I feel like I need to prove that. Now, Tyson is joking half the time, mm. but I, I don't think he was in this case. Maybe maybe he was. I don't think he was. And the thing is, if he really thinks that he was going to hide behind it, well, Tyson is very closely associated with RHAP. Mm-hmm. And anyone who has ever listened to him talk about the game will not be fooled by long hair. Right. I know how much he knows about the game and how good he is. And I feel like others do as well. And that could really work against. Him. I agree. I think that Tyson is hoping that he can hide behind the that image of that player. But he's that image of that player is long gone for him. I mean, that was his first season where you saw the guy with goofy long hair was running around naked. That was the Tyson that we first met. The Tyson that we now see is someone who is very well studied on the game, is clearly very intelligent and that's come across on the television screens that we've all watched him on. And so I think that Tyson's approach that they're not going to see him coming. No, nah, they're totally going to see him coming. But the one <laughs> thing that Tyson's really got going for him though, is again, it's that like ability factor. He's funny and he's, he is goofy and he's someone that I think people would want to hang out with someone that they would want to talk to. But I found it incredibly interesting. The amount of players that were like, Tyson's got to go <laughs> so that people are very suspect of him already. And I think they're suspect of him because they've seen both sides of him. They've seen this goofball carefree person who is also incredibly strategic and cutthroat and also very good at challenges. So he's, he's really got the entire package and he knows how to talk to people and he knows how to be entertaining. And if he gets into a final three, he's a great talker. So I think that he's his threat level is at a different place than a lot of these players because he is so likable, but he's also 
so strategic. And that combination can be very, very scary. Yeah. I mean, I expect him to be a target. Now, maybe he can get together with like Kim and Amber and try to make something happen. Or the other option is he can just point at Tony and Sandra and be like, really, you're coming after me. Have you seen those? Right. One of them has a big giant head right over there. Uh, But, but he needs to do something fast. And he was one of the players who said the game moves faster right from the get go in the returnee season, meaning you have to hit the ground running and lock up your people quickly. Hit the ground running. I think it's hysterical that you use that term because he actually was playing the game before the game even started mm-hmm. coming up. And, and we mentioned this at our in our podcast that we did with Rob, but just the the rumors that he's spreading about people getting paid two hundred thousand dollars to be on season thirty nine and that other people weren't going to be on unless they could also be paid two hundred thousand dollars and through like some weird telephone call from a friend to this person incredible like i've got to give him props for coming up with ways to play the game by utilizing information that didn't happen in the game and this is the type of stuff that tyson is really really good at which is why he's very very scary yeah and you know by the way if there was any doubt about tyson knowing what he's talking about when it comes to survivor we just need to look at this quote from one of his interviews when he said that's why ozzy can't win he doesn't learn from his past mistakes he doesn't change his game which, of course, is something that I have said many times. Mm-hmm. You're right, David. You're right. <laughs> yes, yes. And Tyson and so, clearly did change his game. And we saw right. we saw him just improve immensely. And by the time he played the third time, it was it was an incredible feat. I mean, he did such a great job and really played the game very, very incredibly well on all just across the board. And so I do think that he's someone that is not going to be coming in undetected. He has got a very, very big target on his back. But again, if the if the big meat shields all come together, maybe he'll be safe for a while. Maybe. Ah, but speaking of uh, people who could be in trouble, next up is Wendell. If the bigger, older school names are not the primary target, well, then Wendell easily could be. Mm. And even if he finds a good alliance to get him through that, he's going to have to play a very different game. I, I don't think he's going to find another Dominic. And he's certainly not going to find people he can control as easily as the two of them controlled players in Ghost Island. I agree entirely. I think Wendell is going to be in a difficult spot. He's not in the same type of spot as Nick because mm-hmm. he's a new player, but I think he is in a difficult spot being a new player and being the player that we saw. I mean, he was just that cool, calm, and collected guy who managed to make things happen without people really knowing that he was making those things happen. And it was just such a smooth way to play the game and to win the game that I think everyone is going to be very suspicious of Wendell because that's how he wins the game is by being that smooth, calm and cool kind of guy. I think he's, he's going to be in trouble with this group of people. Yeah. Now, one thing that he does have going for him is he never backstabbed his true partner. Now, part of that is because there was really never an opportunity. But, Mm -hmm. um, you know, now maybe he can use that to his advantage because, like we talked about, the whole loyalty thing. Uh, And then another is just his overall personality. You know, you and I have both met him a couple times, and I think we can both attest to just how charismatic. Oh, he is. He's so likable. Such a nice guy and really comes across as incredibly genuine. But again, I think for Wendell, if people saw him on screen 
they're not going to know that that is how Wendell just is in real life unless they've met Wendell in real life. That mm-hmm. really is who he is. But when you put him in game mode to play with people like this, it might make them suspicious again because that's how he is. He's charismatic. He's likable. He's nice. They might think he's playing them unless they know Wendell outside of the game. Right. So, you know, the question is, well, what's going to happen with him? And, well, that's a very good question. I'm going to say he makes it to the merge and maybe a little after that. But I don't think it'll be much more than that. Yeah, I mean, I think he has the ability to hang in there longer than Nick, for sure. I think Nick's going to be in trouble. Uh, But I think that part of his ability to last is going to be his charm. And if he's more willing to let the old school players kind of take the reins and do what they want to do and kind of follow along with them, that could certainly benefit him because he's not going to then come across as necessarily controlling the game. And maybe he could pull off another Wendell type move where he makes things happen without making it look like he's making things happen. I think he, in one of his interviews talked about kind of almost like bowing down to Rob, like, Oh yes, boss and Rob, you're incredible. I I want to listen to you. I'll do whatever you say in an attempt to, then backstab Rob later. So he might just end up using people's egos to benefit himself, which would be great. Yeah, if it works. If it works, yes. of course. I mean, these are all, we don't yeah. know, we're guessing, but it's possible. Right. right. Yeah. All right. And now we come to the last member of this tribe, and that would be Yule. And it, this is another one where I, I'm going to say it'll be interesting to see how he does because he seems to have very few connections with the other players. But then we have the whole Nick and Michelle thing that we talked about already, which seems mm-hmm. to be a rather odd combination. Mm-hmm. But as I mentioned earlier, we don't really know what that means. Did they talk a lot? Did they exchange a few messages and agree to work with each other? Nothing like that is ever binding. And I have no doubt you will abandon those two if he needs to. Yeah, I do think that it's interesting. Uh, he did mention Nick as being one of the people that he wanted to play with. So he didn't go into the whole, I have a pregame alliance with him, but he mentioned him as one of the people that he would align with. He also is interested in aligning with Sandra, which I think is fascinating because they're much different uh, dynamics in the way that they approach the game. I think with Yule, what I, what I find so interesting, and I don't even know if I probably have already said that three times, but he's such a nice guy. And when he played his season, he really did dominate, but he was very respectful and and just really likable. And he's interested in, in playing with Wendell and Jeremy and Ethan. Could you imagine that four? (laughs) It's like these, it's like the nice guy Alliance, all of these people that are just really likable, really nice people. But then you will said in his interviews that he's, it's no hold barred this time. And and he's going to play completely different than he did before because he doesn't feel like he has constraints like he did with his season, which was a season based on culture and um, mm-hmm. and divided by race. And so he was he was feeling constrained because he needed to represent his race. And here he doesn't feel that he needs to do that. So I'm curious to see if he's really going to be able to kind of break away from that and show us a Yule that we haven't seen before, even though he seems to be gravitating towards the likes of Wendell and Jeremy and Ethan, but then also throwing a Sandra and a Parvati in there. So it, who knows? It'll be, it'll be interesting to watch. Yeah. I mean, you know, looking back at his game and his win, obviously I remember how he controlled the game without appearing to do so. 
He denied being the puppet master, but he was pulling a lot of the strings. Even when decisions were apparently made by consensus, he took advantage to push that decision. So, for example, when Penner flipped, Ewell saw that Ozzy was you know, forming a, a budding alliance with Nate, so he convinced Penner to make voting out Nate a condition of his flip. And then Ozzy had to go along with it. Mm. Later, it was a group decision uh, by the four to vote out Penner, but Ewell used that to make a deal with Adam that got him Adam's jury vote. You know, while, while he held on to his alliance the whole way, he was also ensuring everyone within that alliance was comfortable. And like you said, he was a nice guy. He made them feel like he was part, they, they were part of the process. Mm-hmm. He, he subtly manipulated situations so nobody wanted to jump ship even though it might have been a better option for some of them. Mm-hmm. Now, can you, can you do that with a bunch of winners? Or do you need to be more aggressive like he said? I think it's probably the latter. Yeah, I agree. I think that Ewell's definitely going to have to come out of his shell and, and present a side of him that no one has seen before, which could, it could work to his benefit. Because if they're all expecting this other Ewell, and then maybe that's what he presents, but then he's actually playing a different game behind the scenes. So if he can kind of do it in an underhanded fashion that they don't necessarily realize is happening. He could do very well if he's able to manipulate people the same way that he did in his previous season, but he's going to have to be much more cutthroat about it. And it's going to have to be a little more aggressive. So I I'm fascinated to see the type of mule that we get this season. I'm very, I'm very intrigued. Yeah. Now, you know, uh, as a flip side, kind of a, a counterpoint to that, I will say that, in his season, he kind of let himself fade into the woodwork behind some of the bigger personalities. So when there was a discussion about getting rid of someone before the finals, for example, his name didn't even mm-hmm. come up. And so, you know, does he, maybe he does want to replicate that instead of trying to be more aggressive because, you know, he'll come into the game as a legend of sorts, but he's also with, Sandra, Sari, Sarah, Tony, and Tyson right. in the early goings of his tribe. So maybe fading back in the beginning isn't such a bad idea. Yeah, no, and if he is able to make connections with Wendell, the two of them can nice guy everybody to death on their tribe. It'll be fun to watch. Yeah. Now, uh, I do want to say, uh, you know, much like with Tyson, uh, if there were any doubt about whether I still like Yule, uh, he made a comment very similar. Uh, saying, in some cases, I think people really evolved their game. Ozzy, not so much. The guy has one way of playing, and he plays it very well, but it's not a winning strategy. There you go. So, uh, again, another, another, uh, another guy after my own heart. <laughs> oh, you're so funny. All right. Well, before we go on to the Blue Tribe, let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsors, if there are any in your area. If not, we'll be back even quicker. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18+. Plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We're back. So, let's go on to the Blue Tribe and start with some guy named Adam. I know, some guy named Adam. Yeah, I mean, I almost don't want to say anything about him. Uh, you know, even though I've met him a few times, I've played blackjack with him, I've had discussions with him, that pales in comparison to the amount of time you've spent with him. So I, I kind of just want to let you loose. Uh, well, you know, here's the thing. Adam is one of those winners that nobody saw coming. I think everyone who was out there playing that season with him, with me, didn't expect Adam to do as incredibly well as he did. He's very smooth in the way that he plays the game and he's also not so much in your face but he has a complete understanding of how the game is played what people are doing and what moves will benefit himself but also help those people feel like they're benefiting themselves at the same time he's he's very aware of all of those things that are happening it was very impressive to watch because he knew what decisions to make Regardless of the outcome that it had, if it made somebody else feel like their game was improving and it was still beneficial to him, great, cool, let's do that without necessarily making it seem like he was the one making all of the decisions. I am very impressed with Adam. I loved playing with him. I'm sad that they never showed us actually play together. And the one thing I will say about Adam, that he was someone who I immediately knew I wanted to play the game with. Like once he and I were on the same tribe together, I knew I'm like, Adam's going to be my guy because he just has this thing about him. He's very, very conversational. He's easy to talk to, easy to connect with, but also has such a great understanding of the game. And that comes across in the way that he speaks. The concern I have for Adam is everyone knows he's a super fan on millennials versus Gen X. Nobody knew he was a super fan and he hid that even though you could listen to him speak and you knew that he had an understanding of the game. Nobody knew he was such a super fan. All of these people know Adam is a super fan and they know that he has studied this game and that could potentially be a problem for him. Yeah. Now I mentioned on the, uh, that round table podcast I was on that, and I also brought it up earlier that one thing that could help him is that your season may have been known kind of by most viewers uh, for trust clusters and the pendulum strategy. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was really loyalty that won the day for him. And, you know, that it might be a key this season. Another key could be that he knew in your season when to let the threats duke it out and when to actively take aim at them. And so, you know, if he can do that now, step back when the, the, you know, the big guns are firing at each other. I I think that's the best way to play this. But I have the very same concern that you do because he's, I mean, he's a super fan. And we saw the way Boston Rob treated a super fan on All Stars. Boom. See you, Sester Nino. Right. Uh, So, you know, I guess. 
some of the others might try to pull him in just so they can use him and throw him away. But honestly, I have a good feeling. I think he'll be able to make it past the merge and pretty deep into the game. And I hope he does. I would love to watch Adam go deep in this game. I don't think he's going to have the same potential issues as Nick is going to have as kind of being starstruck. Uh, I think he'll be able to control that component of himself well. But I do, I do just worry that there is this perception that he will be someone who is so well studied that some of the old school players might be intimidated by that. They might think, oh, this kid knows more about me than I know <laughs> kind of thing. <laughs> he's also one of the youngest players out here, which but he's 29, for God's sakes. I love the fact that this tri- that all of these players are, are older individuals, I think is great. But there, I know he's got relationships with people who have played the game before, and that might work to his benefit. I think only one person said that they really wanted to work with Adam, and that was Ethan, because he's kind of relying on, I need someone of a new school era to help me get through this game. So he could use that to his benefit with someone like Ethan. So I, I do really hope that it doesn't hurt him because he's such a fan of this game and he really does have a great understanding of it. And I don't think he gets enough credit for the game that he played in Millennials versus Gen X because he really knew exactly who he needed to get to the end with and how to get there. And he did it in a, in a manner that was kind of unexpected and you know no one saw it coming and then all of a sudden he was there and it was Adam sitting with Hannah and Ken and everyone was like well Adam wins so I have a lot of respect for him and I do hope that he can kind of fulfill his dream I mean part of his dream was playing Survivor and then part of his dream was getting to come back and play on an all-winter season so clearly that's happening that dream also included him winning so we'll see if he does but I don't know if, if he would be able to, to make it all the way to the end. But I do hope that he goes deep in the game. Okay. All right. Well, next up is a, another newer winner. And that, of course, would be Ben. Uh, again, when I was on the uh, that Roundtable podcast, we discussed a bit about how I think a lot of people forget certain things about Ben. They remember the idol finds, the Ben bombs, you know, the stuff of that nature. But all that happened at the end when he needed them. Before then, he made alliances. He brought two of those alliances together. He put himself in a good position until his alliance realized it was too good a position. And and they turned on him, which is why he needed all of those idols. Yeah, I think Ben's potential hurdle is going to be the recency of his game, just as we've talked about with all of the other more recent players. But I also think that something that Ben brings to the table is loyalty. Even though all of that stuff happened at the end, he was being taken out by his own alliance. And so that caused him to have to shift his game and how he approached his game. And he really wants to change that facet of himself in this season. He wants to show that I can make it to the end with somebody. I don't have to be fighting alone in the end. And I think that's going to bode well for him in a group of more old school players who have who might be taking that same approach that we're going to form a bond you and I the two of us the three of us and we're going to try to run this game that could really that could go places for Ben if he's able to find that other half or that other third in order to do that with yeah and he did you know say in interviews that he wants like a Wendell and Dominic relationship 
uh, and to rely more on a social game to to prove that he belongs there. I just don't know that he's going to get that this season. Yeah. Uh, as a matter of fact, I expect the producers to throw all sorts of things at them to keep them out of the comfort zone, not the, in a comfort zone like he wants. But you know, he he did tell Gordon Holmes that because he thinks others will see him as a threat, he wants to keep around the other threats like Rob, Tony, Jeremy, and Wendell. Uh, so you know, we're we're back to this whole meat shield idea, and, and I guess that plan could work early if the idea of threats banding together manages to get off the ground but I, I just think it's doomed to disaster later when the others eventually toss him aside because well he's not one of them yes and that's where i think it's going to hurt him the most is that it's kind of like you're you're better off what is it the devil that you know versus the devil that you don't and if if there's players out there who I understand that player better because that player came from an era when I played Survivor. They might be more comfortable going with that player as opposed to Ben. Ben showed how great he is at finding idols and how great he is at playing them. And also, there's that whole fire-making thing. You know? so, so I do think that there are parts of Ben that could come across as being very scary and very threatening because he also has a presence about him that is a little more in your face and might come across as a little more aggressive just because that's Ben. And and if it's misconstrued as being someone who is potentially trying to take things over or trying to take control, then it might not bode well with someone like Rob, who was on the tribe with him. And Rob didn't seem to be interested in working with the likes of Ben, but you've got Jeremy who wants to work with Ben. So it all depends, I think, on on who comes together and, and what types of characteristics are presented early on. And and then I think Ben could potentially sneak in there, but he's he's going to have some issues with being so recent and having those Ben bombs be part of what he's known for. Yeah. All right. Well, now we can move on to Danny. And I have to say Danny's a bit of a mystery. I didn't get much out of her Entertainment Weekly interview. I didn't get much out of my old interview with her from after she won. She played so close to the vest that there just wasn't much to talk about, it seems. And because of that, I think she's going to be in a position where either people will ignore her at first, or if they're thinking in reverse, as we discussed, they could target her early. I think the latter. I think she's someone that will be targeted early. I've got great concerns for her because she is someone that is such an unknown and her season was kind of an odd one just in, in how it was, how it was played and how she ended up kind of fighting her way to the end, even though she was always kind of on the outs. So I just, I feel like she was so under the radar in her season and still is under the radar because she hasn't ingratiated Mm -hmm. herself into the survivor world either. That she's someone that I think this group will look at and say, I just don't know where she's coming from. I, I don't know where she's at. I'm not sure what kind of game she's actually going to play. So I don't feel safe aligning myself with her or working with her. And I think she's going to be an early out. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. I don't want anyone to misconstrue. She uh, she did a great job of scheming on oh, her. Sure. It's just that she did it in such a quiet way that I think the other players will be hard pressed to remember too much of what you mm-hmm. did. And now if that is the case, then they may not bother with her at first. 
And if she can align herself with a few others early, like Denise and Michelle and maybe Ethan and Adam, she could stick around for a while. Uh, but if, you know, yeah, I, I just don't know if she will. If she does, she could become dangerous. Mm-hmm. But like you said, I don't know if she will. Yeah, and I think that it's, it's again, it's that unknown factor. And it, it goes back to the, the thing I just said, the devil that you know versus the devil that you don't. And this is going to be a group of people that are, are trying to figure out what type of player you're going to be this season, but they're also going to be remembering things that you did in previous seasons and kind of making that assessment and making that determination. And yeah, Danny, she clearly did a phenomenal job in her season because she, she clawed her way up from the bottom. I mean, she really did. She had to fight to win, but she even acknowledges the fact that she kept her game so secretive. Even production didn't even know what she was doing half the time. That's scary. <laughs> That's definitely scary. Yeah. And if anybody knows that she's able to even hide her game from production, then yeah, she can hide her game from everyone she's playing with. So I think I think if people are cognizant of that and remember that that's what Danny did, she's going to it's going to be very difficult for Danny. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And then we move on to another person who is not in a very dissimilar situation. That would be Denise. You know, we just discussed how Danny would probably do best to align with Denise, but Denise told ET Canada that talking about herself saying she's a crappy liar and sucks at being sneaky, which, you know, not usually something you hear from a survivor. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, she wants to pair up with someone who is sneaky, like Sarah or Sandra, neither of whom are on her starting tribe. So does she consider Danny to be sneaky enough to pair up with? I mean, I guess we'll see. But much like Danny, she has a quiet way about her and might be able to fade into the background. She told Gordon Holmes that nobody thinks she's a big strategic player. So she wants to lean into that by playing more strategically without people knowing. The problem with that is, well, first, how you do it. You know, how how are you more strategic without people knowing? And second. How do you get votes at the end if you do succeed in fooling everyone? Because as the rule says, don't keep your scheming too secret. Right. But here's the thing that Denise has going for her. Not only does she want to align with the people you mentioned, she also talked about Harvity as well. And interestingly enough, Harvity also wants to align herself with Denise. Adam wants to align himself with Denise. Annie did mention Denise. Michelle mentioned Denise. Denise's name seemed to be coming up quite a bit in um, who people want to align with. And I think, and I could be wrong about this, obviously we're guessing on all of this, but I think the, the biggest component that Denise has working for her is the loyalty factor. I mean, she and Malcolm were such a tight duo and, and she really was able to play such an incredible social game that every tribal council she went to, even if she was, on the bottom, she was the only person from her tribe after a swap on a new tribe, and she didn't get voted out. She was able to create bonds, form connections, and played a social game that allowed her to stay all the way to the end and allowed people to flip on each other in order to keep her in the in the final three and to take Malcolm out at four. All of that it was based on her social abilities in the game, which I think in this group of people is going to be key in staying in the game and in lasting in the game and pulling off those more underhanded moves that people don't necessarily see coming 
And everyone seems to really want to work with Denise. So if people want to work with her, they're not going to be voting out or voting for her first. Obviously, they're going to want to keep her around. I think Denise is going to kill it out there. I really do. She's my winner pick. I'm very impressed with. Uh Yes, I'm very impressed with Denise's abilities here. Because she is not one of the main targets that everybody's looking at, but she's someone that everybody wants to work with. And I like that. Yeah. And if an alliance among those people works, then I agree. She could be around for a while. If the big targets band together, she could be toast early. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's this is a hit or miss kind of thing. I mean, you look at this tribe, you've got one, two, three, four, five, six that have only ever played the game once. And other the other four have played more than more than once. Oh, wait, was it? It might even be more. No. Yep. The other four have played more than once. So it all depends on who comes together. And and. You know, she's one of those one-time players, but she's clearly someone that, I mean, Poverty was so desirous of getting to work with Denise and wanting to be Denise's, I mean, she, Denise is her ride or die. I love that. I love that Denise is Poverty's ride or die. I think that's great. Yeah. All right. Well, are, are you going to apologize to Denise oh. now for, for cursing her, uh, you know, Yes, I'm so sorry, Denise, when you lose this game. <laughs> it was totally my fault. It's the butterfly effect. We've established it. I'm terrible at predictions. And everybody that I picked to win, except JT, which was years and years and years ago on his first season, he was my winner pick. And that's the only time I've ever been right. So okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> Please prove me wrong. Please. There you go. All right. Well, Next up, we have Ethan. And if I were picking my winner based on pure emotion instead of attempted logic, I would have picked mm. Ethan. He, he brings nostalgia, but also just the fact that he's alive and well and playing Survivor again is amazing. Yeah, for sure. You know, I mean, he was never the biggest schemer and plotter. You know, he, he schemed about as much as was necessary and nothing more. And normally those are the people that I aim for. But I still really like yeah. that. Oh, he's he, he's so likable. And he has such a great presence about him. And you watch him in his interviews. He's someone that you, I think is going to make others feel comfortable in talking to them. I think there's going to be more of an interest in Ethan because he is so old school. I mean, he's one of the very early seasons. And I think that's going to cause people to want to talk to him and want to form bonds with him just because there is that factor about him but i am hoping that he's able to understand the game that is now being played and he seems very cognizant of the fact that he's that's not the game he ever played he didn't play with twists and with idols and and all of these these nuances that are being introduced so that's why he was gravitating towards someone like an adam so adam could help him understand and i think that would be a a great dynamic duo if those two got together that would be really incredible to watch Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I think that the other players will probably leave him alone for a little while, if only due to nostalgia and his prior mm. illness. But the threat radar is going to come up if he gets too close. Oh, to for the sure. You know, and Ethan told Entertainment Weekly, I don't think it's fair to weaponize my cancer and use it against me. Well, I got bad news for you, Ethan. You may not agree, but all's fair in Survivor. Mm-hmm. And I can definitely see people talking about that if he gets. Oh, sure. I mean, backstory is something that people are very aware of. 
I mean, you look at someone like Adam. We didn't know Adam's mm-hmm. backstory until he was sitting there in the final three. And he told us the story about his mom, which was horrific and sad and awful. But it, it wasn't something that caused us to sway our, one way or the other. We were all on the Adam train at that point. But someone like Ethan is walking in with a story that everybody knows. Everyone is very aware of. And you hear it all the time when people are determining who they want to sit in the final three with. They got a hell of a story. You know, they've got a great story. And he's Mm -hmm. he's got an incredible story. He's survived. I mean, he literally survived. So I think letting him get too close is is going to be problematic because if he's sitting there in the end, he's going to win. Yeah. And so, I, I mean, he wants to bring it back to, you know, trust and loyalty. And we've already talked about that. That might be a good idea. I I just don't think there's any way he can make it to the end. But if he finds a way to pull it off, I'll I'll stand up and oh for him. sure, mm-hmm. absolutely. So, all right. Well, uh, moving on, we have Jeremy, and as we discussed on our earlier podcast, Jeremy was another player who improved greatly between his first and second time out. He went from targeting the big threats to co-opting and using the threats. And he told ET Canada that he plans to play the same as he did in his winning season. To him, that means keeping people like Rob Tyson and Tony around as meat shields, plus Ethan is a loyal person. And he will have Rob and Ethan around, but he's going to have to go hunting if he wants to find someone else. Like maybe Parvati would fit the bill in the early goings. Mm. And then depending on what the rest of the tribe wants to do, he could he could end up finding himself in the swing vote role, deciding whether they target the big names or work with the big names. Yeah, he's he's such a tough read because he's one of those players that you really did see a completely different person when he played the second time. He learned a lot about what he needed to improve upon and was more relaxed and laid back the second time he played and had a better understanding of the dynamics of the relationships. He's someone who is very likable, someone that I think when anyone has a conversation with him, he comes across as being very genuine and someone that is is fully listening to you when you're talking to him. I mean, I've met the guy and he's just he has this thing about him and Mm -hmm. and you can't get past that. That could be dangerous, obviously, because if he's if he's so likable, then are people necessarily going to let him get to the end? I don't know if they will, but if there is this meat shield idea, boy, he's the perfect meat shield. Yeah. You know, and uh, he's also another player who says things move fast in an all-star season. Now he thinks that he can handle it, but maybe the one-time players won't. Now, you know, we've already talked about that. We think it, it may, they may slow it down, but no matter what happens, <sighs> I don't know where he's going to end up. It's very difficult to predict. Mm -hmm. I agree. Um, It it all depends on whether his plan works. I I feel like his plan won't work, but I have a hard time seeing him getting the boot early. I think it would only happen if he gathers all the meat shields and then they just decide they don't need him. Uh, But even that would probably be closer to the merge. So I, I guess that's I guess that's where I'll put him. You know, packed somewhere around the merge. Well, and he's one of those people that I'm curious about with the edge of extinction. If they know that the edge of extinction is there, if they don't know it's there, because everyone is very aware that in order to get back into the game, there's going to be some type of challenge. 
and he's someone who could perform very well in the challenge. So do you stack the deck and put a bunch of people who are really good at challenges onto the edge of extinction because they've only got one shot to get back in or maybe two depending upon how they do it? I, you know, I don't know, but he's someone that I could see being a concern that if he does end up on the edge of extinction, he could potentially come back because of his ability to do well in challenges. So that's, I think, going to affect where he ends up ending up in all of this. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see, I guess. I know. It's a tough one for him. Mm -hmm. Edge of extinction. Yeah. All right. so next up is Michelle. And when I, again, when I was on that roundtable podcast, one thing we all said about Michelle was that we thought she wanted to prove that she deserved it. And then I think it was the very next day that Entertainment Weekly's interview with her came out titled Michelle Fitzgerald wants to prove she deserved. Right. Of <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, so good prediction. on mm-hmm. Yeah. In the interview, she said, I like to think that they underestimate me. If you're looking at everybody's resume, I'm probably one of the lesser threats, which is great. Such a great advantage for me because I'm a very different person than I was 24 year old beauty tribe, Michelle, and I'm ready to play a much different game. So if they're underestimating, underestimating me, that gives me flexibility to play more boldly without looking like I'm playing too bold. I can fly a little bit under the radar and make moves without all their alarm bells uh, going off right at the gate. I'm hoping that I'm perceived a little less threat. Which could cause her to be a huge threat. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, I mean, the thing that she's so good at, obviously, is is her social game. She is very good at forming relationships and bonds and just connecting with people. There are some of the bigger name, older school players that mentioned they were interested in working with the likes of Michelle, but it was always in kind of a, she can be my little sister kind of relationship. Mm-hmm. So I think that she's being viewed as someone that can be taken along. Like, oh, she's someone that I can I can mold and I can work with and make her do the things that I want. And if that's not what she ends up doing, if she presents herself differently to them, then I think she's going to find herself in a tough spot. Yeah. And, and then it comes back to what you already mentioned and we've been talking about is if you're less threatening, are you more threatening? Mm-hmm. Because she even said in her interview, these are super fans out here, too, and they have their finger on the pulse of what's happening in these returning seasons, which by trend seem to be taken over by under the radar players. If that's their mindset going in, then my ship might be sunk before I even leave. the yeah. boat. And so she recognized mm-hmm. that, you know, I mean, she's, you know, whether she saw it herself, she's listening to podcasts, whatever she's doing, she recognized the same thing. And so the real thing is, though, are there more threatening, less threatening people? Interesting. Yes, it does. So so of the less threatening people, are there some more threatening ones? So I I think there are. So she might not even be targeted right away among that group. Yeah, and that's true. I mean, I think between she and Danny, I think Danny's going to be in a much more difficult situation. I do think that the fact that people want to work with Michelle will allow her to stay along or be around for a little bit longer, as long as she plays that same role, which she doesn't want to play. We saw her play it already in the season that she was on, where she was being that little sister and I need your help and show me what to do. And she doesn't want to play that game, but maybe she'll recognize that's what she has to do at least before she can really kind of take things over or get her footing 
so she can form the relationship she needs to to make. I, I hope she recognizes that. And I hope that that's what we end up seeing from Michelle, because it would be nice for someone like Michelle to be able to come out of this and go, see, I really did deserve to win my season. Mm-hmm. Like, I told you that I deserved to win my season and look what I did here. But yes, I, yeah. I do see her as as fitting that mold of someone who you don't expect to win a season like this and they end up winning and everyone's like, where did they come from? And she she fits that mold. Yeah, no. yeah and now she did say she plans to go in playing completely flexible, which I think is good. And she is in a position where I think she can put herself out there as a pawn in the early goings if that's what she wants to do. She also recognizes something that has been discussed on RHAP by a number of people, which is that my biggest weakness is that is that because I won, I'm not necessarily aware of when the tide shift and in particular when they might switch on me. So because I've never experienced that act of being blindsided and voted out myself, I feel like it's a huge weakness for me to not know exactly when that could be happening for me. People who have been voted out before, they've seen what it's like and they know the feeling and they can pick up on the Mm. cues. I I do think that's what will eventually happen to her. I I think she'll she'll let herself be used as a pawn for a while. But at some point, people are going to decide she's outlived her usefulness and toss her aside. I think that point is probably after the merge, but before it's too deep in the game. So I'm looking at like eighth or ninth. Yeah, no, I do agree with that assessment because you do, because that's the way she's already being discussed by people who want to work with her. They're, they're describing it in just that fashion. Like I will essentially use her for as long as I need to. And then, you know, she's no one's ride or die. She's no one's ride or die. She is a vote that I can utilize because I think I can, I can mold her and get her to do what I want her to do. Yeah. All right, next up we have Natalie, and I don't really have much to say about Natalie because to me, she may be the biggest unknown coming into the season in terms of strategy, not just for myself, but for the other players. I mean, she's physically strong, but and we know she was smart enough to outwit the others on San Juan del Sur, but let's face it, after Jeremy was voted out by his own allies, most of them were not exactly strategic geniuses. Uh, you know, after I recently rewatched parts of the season, I was reminded just how bad people like Keith, Wes, Alec and others were at playing the game. Mm-hmm. What I love about her, though, is how in your face she was during that season. It was <laughs> yes. to really convince the other tribe to vote someone out because you're shouting at them and telling them like why you should vote John out because he's and all of the things that she was screaming about him. And then they voted him out. I, I really have to give her props for that because that's a ballsy move to, to tell the other tribe who they need to vote out and why is it's just something you don't see happen on Survivor mm-hmm. and the fact that she did that. And I think the reason why Natalie played the game the way that she did was because of her sister. You know, she her sister was gone. And right. so it was kind of like, that's it. I'm angry and I need to I need to do this for my sister. I have to fight for my sister. And it lit a fire under her and it made her do things that were a little bit out of the norm and things that you don't see a lot of Survivor players do. But yes, you are correct in your assessment. The people she was playing with not necessarily strategic geniuses, but she does deserve props for her ability to 
use them to her advantage and, and get where mm-hmm. she needed to go. I mean, Jeremy said it. She owned you. She owned everything. She stepped up and she did it and she brought it and she really did. So I think yeah. that the concern I have for Natalie is if she's too in your face with this group of people, is that something that they want to keep around because it's a shield or is that something that they just don't want to be bothered with? I, I'm not sure. Like, I don't know how this group is going to perceive someone that might be a little overly aggressive. But then again, she might walk into the game and not be the same way because she is playing this on her own without being another half of, you know, with her sister. Right. Now, the, the thing is, she I, I don't think she's connected to anybody else except mm, Jeremy. Mm-hmm. But she is lucky, lucky enough to be on the same tribe right. as he is, which may keep her safe initially. I feel like as soon as she's swapped away from him, she's an easy target to get picked off. So I don't think she's going to make the murder. I think that's interesting. And I could see that being being the case. I, I, I do think that her, uh, if she's too aggressive, then yeah, I, I see her having difficulty forming those really, you know, early relationships that she needs to create in order to keep herself around past the merge. Yeah. All right. Well, someone who we have a little bit more to say uh, to talk about is uh, next up, and that's Parvati. And she is seen by many as one of the top players, which puts her in the upper echelon of targets also. But she's also in the upper echelon of people who can charm the hell out Mm -hmm. of other people, as has been described by a number of her fellow players over the years. In her second and third seasons, she also showed some excellent strategic moments, such as the double idol play in Heroes versus Villains to save her ally and knock out a hero. And uh, and, and since she, she's been in two returnee seasons already, she knows how they go and how to properly play them. For example, after her win, she told me in an interview, I was separating friendship and strategy and not making any decisions based on emotions. I was making them rationally and methodically, and I planned out everything and stuck to it. I definitely was able to separate the game from my friendship. And then she did the same thing in Heroes versus Villains, never letting her emotions interfere in a game decision to vote somebody out. It didn't matter if she knew them well outside the game, had been a potential ally of theirs, had hung out with them at a loved one's reward. If they were in her way, they were gone. And that kind of gameplay is going to be necessary Mm -hmm. here. And she's more well-equipped to do it than some of the others. Oh, for sure. And can I just say how excited I am to see her and Boss and Rob play together? I think this will be mm. this will be fun to watch because they're going to be together right from the start. And I'm, I'm excited because they both seem to really want to play with each other in kind of a weird way because I think they both understand how big the target is on their back. And I think they're both of the same mindset that I need to keep a bigger target around to try to people, you know, keep people's eyes off of me. But her ability to really get people to connect with her, she's very charismatic and someone who a Michelle, I think, would fall for. I really do think she would. And and this was that relationship I was talking about with Michelle. I mean, that's the type of relationship Parvati wants to have with Michelle. And, you know, she wants to work with Denise, which I think is also great for Denise because she wants to have that relationship with her. And I, she's the one survivor player that seems to have an uncanny ability to form bonds with people that are really unexpected and, 
and get people to do things that you would, you're just kind of shocked. I mean, the things that, that she and Russell Hans ended up when they were working together and he was just <laughs> handing her idols and doing things for her. And, and obviously it was to benefit his game, but she formed a relationship with the one person nobody wanted, you know, nobody trusted, nobody wanted to have a relationship with. And that was the guy that she went to and was like, that's the guy I'm going to, he's, he's going to be the other half. So it's, it's a, it's a scary way to play the game, but she's very good at it. And so I think that that ability to form those relationships for her will help her last in this season, despite the fact that she's played such a great game multiple times. I still think she's going to be able to pull it off for a while. Yeah. I mean, like you said, she decided to align with Russell who nobody else knew. Mm -hmm. And it makes me wonder if she'll try something similar this time, going with players that are lesser known in her tribe, like maybe a Natalie and Ben, you know, she, she did mention that people may not know she has a relationship with Sophie outside the game, but since they aren't on the same tribe, she's going to need to make it to at least a swap, if not the merge for that to matter. The question comes up once again, as to whether people will be going after the big targets or trying to join up with them to use as meat shields. Now, even if they are targeting them, I think Parvati can duck the first bullet because she's on a tribe with mm-hmm. Rock. And if she, can, if she can avoid being voted out first, that could give her the time she needs to gain a foot. Right. And I think that if she catches wind that the larger players are being targeted first, I bet you anything she's going to do everything in her power to put that target directly over on Rob. Not that Rob wouldn't do the same oh, thing yeah. to Amber, but I, or excuse me, do the same thing to poverty. But <laughs> I do think that she would have the ability to pull that off better than he would. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. So speaking of Rob, uh, he's next up and uh, I believe he is last on this tribe. So as I said about Sandra earlier, Well, what is there more to say about him? I mean, I I don't think there's a chance in hell he can win. Mm -hmm. I don't think he'll make the merge unless it's through Edge of Extinction. But if he can convince the other big threats to stick together and they pull in a few newer players, that could be legendary. Oh, my God. You know, (laughs) not enough to win because those players aren't going to be as dumb as the ones in All Stars who let Rob and Amber get to the end. But it could still be fun if, you know, if by some miracle he does get to the end, then they have to. Get yeah. To Much like Sam. Yeah. I think that Rob is the type of person that is really, he really has turned survivor into a career. And this is the sixth time being out there. And he's someone who, I mean, literally wrote a book about survivor. So, so I do think that he's someone that everyone is very aware of. And if he can get his footing, I think he's going to hang in there for a bit. But yes, I think this group of people understands the closer we let Boston Rob get to the end, the more scary the prospect of his winning becomes, because that's the type of player that Boston Rob is. He he manages to pull things off and to make things happen, has a, a great understanding of the game and his surroundings and the people who are part of those surroundings. Just listening to him in interviews was fascinating because like Gordon Holmes would ask him a question and he would throw Gordon Holmes off in two seconds. I don't know if you noticed that, but like Gordon Holmes would ask him a very direct question and he'd be like, how long have you been married? You know, and like just completely, completely flip the, the topic to try to get away from the question. 
But if he, and I think that's something he does in the game. He, he gets people's focus on something else instead of on him. Let's focus on a different topic. Let's talk about something about you in order to keep the target off of him. Unfortunately, the target's already on him because all of these people know him. So if he's able to pull it off, it would be, it'd be mind blowing. But I think edge of extinction is the thing that throws all of this into a whirlwind because if he ends up on edge of extinction, his chances of winning to come back in increase. And let's say he's, you know, the Chris Underwood of this season and comes back at the very end. I don't know how you don't give it to him if he comes back in the very end. Because he wasn't playing the game. The same reason they shouldn't be giving it to Chris. I agree with that. I totally agree with that. I hope that this cast feels the same way about Edge of Extinction and doesn't say you're the winner because you're Boston Rob and you managed to get back in and there you are in the final three. But who knows? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Who knows? Yeah. Now, one thing I have to mention, uh, and this is just a kind of a side take, but because I find it incredibly funny is when I was looking back at interviews and the like, and um, uh, Teowyn Woodruff interviewed Rob for me after his Heroes versus Villains loss. And um, she was, he, he, I don't remember why she did the interview for me. Maybe we had to split up the interviews at that point because I usually did the interviews even for the finale, but for whatever reason, she did it for me. And uh, he was lamenting to her how the game had changed. He said, before, if you were helpful around camp or a physical asset to your team, that used to be valued. It seems that a lot of the new school players are simply about strategy and keeping their alliance strong. So, yeah, that's right. He was complaining about, quote unquote, new school survivor players 10 years ago. Yeah. Okay, boomer. (laughs) I mean... Then on top of that, he was actually listed in my What Survivor Heroes and Villains Should Have Learned article as one of the first people to do exactly what he is saying is, quote unquote, new school. Within that article, first I had noted an earlier example was Hunter and Marquesas. He was a hardworking and likable guy in a tribe full of lazies. That meant he had to go. So that, of course, was referencing you know Rob acting against Hunter. And then later. I expanded more on the point saying, oh, let's see if I can still pronounce this tribe. Maramu definitely went against the advice to keep the strong and oust the weak with the vote against Hunter. Why? Because Rob figured it was better to have people who would listen to him and, quote, fear him rather than strong people in the tribe. So Russell was just following the example that Rob himself set. And, of course, this plays into what we see almost every season, with some player going on lamenting how much Survivor has changed. Mm -hmm. You know, most recently, we heard it from Nora, talking about how everyone just cares about strategy now instead of working at camp. (laughs) But even when Rob was complaining about it 10 years ago, he was still wrong, because that's the way it's really always Mm. been. And and this just puts a fine point on it. So I had to bring that up because I find it, so amusing. See, this is the great thing about having your computer and your ability to go back and look at all of your notes mm-hmm. from previous seasons. I love it. Yeah. So, yeah. So there there we have, uh, you know, Rob's thoughts on that. Well, I do think that the Rob and Amber combo is what makes Rob and Amber the most interesting, too, out of, I think, everyone who's on the season 
because they're married for God's sakes. And so I just, to me, I, I, I don't know if that's going to be a benefit for the two of them or just an automatic issue right away. Like one of them's got to go immediately. Yeah. And it's, and that's kind of frustrating. I think Uh, if I were, you know, Rob or Amber, I'd be frustrated with the fact that my spouse is here. And because my spouse is here, it's going to hurt my game. So that'll be interesting. That was a choice they made. That was a decision they made. And there are, there are pluses and there are minuses. You know, it, it, it comes up anytime you have a reality show where two people are close with mm-hmm. each other. It, you know, it can work both ways. In this case, I think it's definitely, well, let me put it this way. If Rob had come by himself, he'd have still been a huge right. target. If Amber had come by herself, she would not have been as big mm-hmm. a target. So more than anything, Rob being there hurts Amber. Yes. Um, now, Amber being there certainly doesn't help Rob. But yeah, I think that I think it's true. Right. I think his being there is definitely detrimental to Amber. Yeah. So, all right. So there are our 20 winners, one of whom will join Sandra as being a two-time winner. And I say that because, as I've mentioned, I can't see any possibility they let Sandra do it again. Um, before we go, and before we, we wrap start wrapping things up on the why the winners lost podcast rob asked you who you would write down first well as the first person to vote off and you said nope gotta wait for this podcast so here we are (laughs) two hours into this podcast it's danny i would wait you would write you would write down yes i would the the person that's who i would vote out first is danny because i the thing with She's such a sleeper and this is and I know that Denise is a similar in a similar boat, but I think the difference between Denise is there there's some structure to how Denise played the game and not that there isn't with Danny, but I think Danny is someone who is such an unknown and you really don't know where she's coming from and how she's going to approach the game because her because she kept it so under the radar but still managed to pull out a win. That is very very scary when you're dealing with such an unknown and i mean the other people you've seen their games you see how they play you get an understanding of what's important to them i don't know what's important to danny i can at least look at all of these other players and there's one key thing that i can say okay this is what they're good at i know that's what they're good at and with with danny it's it's really such an unknown i I really feel like she's she could be super duper scary so that's why I would put her name down. Okay. All right. Well, uh, we talked earlier about how uh, how busy we have been, and uh, at least for me, that will continue because um, I will be heading out to Los Angeles for the big RHAP anniversary slash Survivor premiere party. Uh, that's on Wednesday. I, I hope to see a lot of listeners there. And I uh, may be modeling the new Survivor Rules shirt that we hope to have uh, available soon. Amazing. Uh, yes. Also, I will be the guest on the RHAP B&B for their preseason show in just a few days. So we'll be doing that before I head out to L.A. And uh, then, of course, um, 
everybody remember you can get the second printing of the poster at tinyurl.com slash David Rules Poster. Yes, you should definitely order. I'm so sad that I don't get to join you in L.A. I'm so jealous I don't get to join you in L.A. It sounds like it's going to be such an incredible time. There's going to be so many survivors there, so many fans, so many people who listen to the podcast. So I hope you all have a great time. And it's such an incredible season that I think watching it in a group of people who are huge fans and survivors. Oh, it's going to be amazing. You're going to have such a good time. I'm so jealous. Yeah. And I, I, I've seen the list of some of the survivors and I'm thinking, Ooh, I, I really hope they don't remember what I said about them <laughs> way back. Then. Um, I'm sure they do. I'm sure they do. Yeah, no, they probably don't. Uh, but, uh, Anyway, as we uh, as we wrap up, I do want to encourage people to check out the RHAP patron program at robhasawebsite.com slash patron. Rob has been uh, talking about how there's no better time to sign up than right now. And I agree. He's starting a brand new patron only show the hour before each episode of Survivor, starting with episode two. He already does at least five patron only call in shows a month. And the most recent patron cast was five hours mm-hmm. long. So, you know, and, and of course, patrons get first access to live show tickets, such as the four that are going on this season, at least one of which sold sold out fully to patrons only. Uh, and, you know, even for the non sellouts, you get a discount. Uh, he also has the Facebook groups where you'll find a great community of people. You can talk about Survivor, Big Brother, etc. So, again, that's Rob has a website dot com slash patron. And once you get to the Facebook groups, make sure to say yes, hello. please do. And where else can they say hello to us? Sorry, I need to take a little drink there. You should follow us both on Twitter. I'm Jessica Lewis 89 and David is at David Bloomberg. You should follow both of us, not just one of us, follow us both. Then you get conversation on both sides. We both live tweet during the episodes. I can't wait to start live tweeting during this season. It's going to be incredible. <laughs> got to get my gifts ready. You know, got to come strong. Uh, but yeah, so again, it's Jessica Lewis 89 and at David Bloomberg. So follow us both and get involved in the conversation because we have incredible discussions on Twitter about the season, both during the show, after the show. And also, like I said, if you want to order a poster and you are outside of the United States, you can DM me and I can make arrangements with you through Twitter. All right. Do you have any ideas for a hashtag? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. You know, I, I really don't. All right. Uh, let's see here. We 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 talked about the uh, the, the more threatening uh, lesser threats. If you want to make it a a really big hashtag, go with hashtag more threatening lesser threats. Be, I can't even follow that. That would be a lot. Okay. But yes, yes, that would definitely. We'll see. If yeah, we'll see if anyone does, does that. that. Yeah. Well, what's the meat shields? That seems to be something everyone was talking about too. They all want to keep meat shields around. Yeah, that's not okay. Good. All right, we'll go with the more threatening, less threatening, more threatening hashtag. <laughs> yes, there you go. All right, everyone should uh, make sure you're subscribed to all the RHAP Survivor podcast as the season begins. Uh, that's at robhasapodcast.com slash survivor, or of course, just on your favorite podcatcher. We are also on the reality TV rehab ups feed. And in both places, you can find great content like the know it alls. The Return of the Wiggle Room, This Week in Survivor, The B&B, which, again, I'll be on shortly, and much more. And we also need to say thanks to Scott St. Pierre, who does all of the editing on Why Blank Lost. And also thanks to Will from America for the incredible theme song. 
And thanks to you, David, for going through all of this with me and making me do way too much work for the past like week or so. Uh, I hope it was enjoyable for all the listeners. We've gone for like two hours at this point. And uh, but it was another great podcast. I hope you love listening. And I can't wait to watch the first episode of Winners at War coming this Wednesday. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, thanks to you, Jessica, for all the work you put in uh, preparing for this show and preparing for the season and just everything. Uh, And yeah, we'll be uh, we'll be, uh, you know, different ends of the continent watching. But, uh, uh, you know, we'll we'll uh, see how it goes. And I'm sure it will be at least an exciting first episode. And then we'll see what happens then, because as we've talked about, it could go, you know, one of a couple different ways and somehow they'll probably find a third way that we haven't. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. And listen, I expect to see quite a few selfies of you on Twitter while you're out in LA. You better make it happen. Sure. Yeah. (laughs) You can expect that. I want to see them all over Twitter. All right. Okay. And uh, on that note, uh, we'll, uh, we will talk to everyone in, well, a little bit more than a week after, the, after I get back from L.A., back in our n- normal time slot. So we'll see you then. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.